On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'm back from Summer League and we'll go through my experience out in Las Vegas and how the Pacers did. Then discuss the Pacers doing something they've never done before. That's offering restricted free agent DeAndre Ayton with the Phoenix Suns. And while they lost out on him, I think they've made progress from where we were a year ago. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. I'm back after a long week out in Las Vegas, which is always my favorite time of year. If I could pick one NBA event to cover, this would be it. And it goes beyond basketball. It goes beyond the teams. It's it's about the relationships, the people you see out there, the conversations that are had, the relationship building, so many different things that go through an experience and that trip and no matter where you go you're always running into NBA personnel for me there's so many important people that I'm able to meet and put a face with a name or a text or a person I've been talking to on the phone for quite a while because keep in mind a lot of national people a lot of agents and others behind the scenes that play a huge role in the NBA today they don't make it to Indiana very often they don't make it to Indiana games very often even when I travel so that's why I find this summer being so incredibly beneficial and worthwhile for me. It's one reason, for one, I appreciate the investment you listeners and readers have in me and subscribing to FieldhouseFiles.com. That helps me make these trips to provide you better intel, to provide you with that context. It's without those things behind the scenes that I wouldn't be able to have. I have a lot of experience and I have a lot of those relationships and a lot of them are in part from showing up, from doing the job and from knowing this team. And so thanks to you guys for supporting me. This past week was my best week ever at the Fieldhouse Files. A little bit of interest, you could say, in DeAndre Ayton. And to the bigger piece, that's also why the Pacers were interested in DeAndre Ayton. So I'll get into that and a lot more. But I love these last few months. We go from the draft combine in Chicago to the draft last month in New York and Brooklyn. And this past week, couple of weeks really, in Las Vegas for Summer League. So awesome. I hope you were able to watch at least some of it. After the first couple of games, yeah, I agree. It's some awful basketball. And there's no worse basketball, I think, played this past week than I saw in the Pacers' final summer league game and by that point several of the key players are sitting they're resting a lot of times in years past maybe guys switch teams or go home after a few days we saw Chris Duarte play in just one game and he played fine I thought he kind of settled in and, and did a nice job of not just looking to score that was the big thing he's been really working on since the season ended and that's finding other ways to contribute. That's finding other ways to get involved in the game and allowing himself to be patient and for the game to slow down. And so we heard last year's first-round picks and Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson talk oh so much about the game slowing down and have a better understanding and a better feel for it, not be running around with like deer and headlights on type thing, right? So that's the big change from year one to year two and also why you often see some of those top players make huge jumps after the first year. One, it allows them to kind of break free from the game and rest up. Like, it is a grind. Talking about a guy like Benedict Matherin, who after his Arizona season ended, goes out and begins training immediately for pre-draft. Then goes through pre-draft workouts. Then 
is usually at the combine, those type of players, even if they don't participate, they're doing interviews, they're meeting with teams, they're talking behind the scenes, maybe jumping on Zoom with some teams throughout the the months leading into the draft. Then there's the draft after the pre-draft workouts. Then you come through Indiana, do all kinds of more interviews, this with the local media. Here with the Pacers, they took him to St. Elmo's, they took him to the Speedway. He's able to... Oh, it sounds like a lot because it is. But then he's able to relax for a couple of days and then, bam, right away they get started with mini camp leading up to summer league. And that's where he's doing more interviews and you have practice and trying to make a big first impression here. And now everybody eases off the pedal here a little bit now in mid-July after summer league. This is usually when things relax a little bit. The next six weeks are the only time where... Team personnel can take time off. Think of your equipment managers, your athletic trainers, all the different people behind the scenes, massage therapists, team security. They're not able to take much time off up until now. So that's a good thing for so many intimately involved with the Pacers. So I'll continue to be writing and podcasting, but try to ease up just a little bit to prevent burnout, which is very realistic and possible when turning this into a 365-day-a-year type thing. Back to Chris Duarte, a little surprised that he played. He's still dealing with that toe injury, which is concerning to me and something that might need to be addressed this offseason. It's something where, for one, he wanted to play badly, and so he did just to feel the game again. Remember, he didn't play the final like three months of the season because of that toe injury, it kept him out of the All-Star weekend where he could have participated in kind of the rookie-sophomore game over there in Cleveland. He went anyway, continuing the grind of his rookie season there. Then this injury popped up, and from what I was told, it went away, but then came back, and that's definitely concerning here. And so you saw in my preview, I mentioned you know the concern level for Duarte and how maybe he won't play or maybe he shouldn't even play. This is why. We kept hearing them be so unsure about him and saying, hey, it's going to be a day-to-day thing or we'll see how he responds or how he recovers. That's alarming to me as we're now just a couple months away from training camp. I think you either need to lay off of it or I don't know if surgery would even be necessary for this type of injury, but you would need to get it addressed because this is not something you want to linger into the regular season, a sophomore season where it's all about growth expanding your game and young guys growing together. I can't tell you how many times these young guys talked about that, how, you know, we're going to be a young team, but we can grow together. That seems to be a common line uttered by so many guys on this roster. But Duarte played one game, remained out there in Las Vegas, but then did not play the rest of the way. It was a very young team, 16 guys, 10 of whom were rookies. Just one guy had more than one year of experience, and that was Nate Hinton. Started in Dallas with Rick Carlisle and still has very little experience, but that's the youth you're talking about right here. So many new to the game. But all things were very impressive, I thought, over the last few weeks with summer coach Ronald Norwood. This is a real opportunity for him, obviously, taking on a new role, moving over a seat or two to the hot seat where so many more things are asked of you. It gets you out of your comfort zone a little bit. On top of being the guy, the one leading the huddle, calling the plays, standing up on the sideline. And for him, it's critically important, too, because he wants to be a head coach in the next five years or less. And so this was real-time, practical, 
experience. So last year was Mike Weiner. This year was Ronald Norrit after learning Rick Carlisle's system and working under Carlisle for a year, whereas Mike Weiner had been together with Rick for the past 13 years in Dallas. So that's kind of why it made sense that last year, and then Nord wanted it. So when Rick Carlisle came to him before Summer League and asked if he'd want it, Ronald jumped at the chance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all in. And the thing I really liked about him is his credibility with the players. He's not afraid to come down on him, them, to raise their voice on them, but he's also going to put his arm around them and love them and show that mutual empathy and respect for their game while also not afraid to go hard on them. There's a relatability, I believe, with Ronald Nord, also a former high-level college player, so he can relate with them there as well. He's a little bit younger, skews more towards the players and the coaches in this instance, so... He was very impressive, I thought. It's really hard to judge in-game stuff in Summer League when you talk about in-game adjustments or halftime, that type of thing. But the one thing I did like, and I'm mainly talking about the first three games because the last two were awful and kind of irrelevant, too, in terms of the players available. What I liked about the first and third games, the two games they won there, is how they started strong in both the halves. That was an issue with the Pacers last season, is poor starts and then get behind. And it'd be a difficult time for them to come back, which exact scenario played out in their second summer league game. But I think that was just some kind of lull that they dug in themselves into a little bit. But first and third games, really impressive, led there by Coach Norwood. I would have liked to see more defense, considering that was the number one thing they discussed, hyped up and emphasized throughout training camp. But again, it's a lot of young guys, a lot of fresh faces. A lot of guys new to the league, so there's that growth period, period of understanding uh, with everyone. Uh, Benedict Matherin, I thought, really impressed. He, too, like Dorte, was patient, didn't force things, kind of eased into it. You could tell he was very comfortable taking over when he felt compelled to or felt like the game needed him to, Uh, though I felt the first couple games he was actually quieter than he needed to be and could have been more assertive and dominant, but... There's also a feeling out period, and so I thought he eased into it. And then the third game, really relaxed in a good way, very comfortable, picked his spots, was easily the best player on the floor, and helped the Pacers to a victory there. Didn't see anything that necessarily surprised me, uh, just some things that impressed. And he was very smooth. And then as of this recording, recording here on Monday, after Summer League on July 18th, he was named to the All-Summer League second team. Easily, I think, would have been named to the first team if he had kept playing and played the fourth and fifth game, but again, no need for that realistically. You did see Keegan Murray of Sacramento named MVP of Summer League, well-deserved, and everything you see from his game at Iowa and leading up in the pre-draft combine and, and these workouts were confirmed, I would say, during Summer League, how just so easy the game came to him just so how quietly he contributed I remember when they played the Pacers I was like yeah he's probably having a solid game 15 points you look up and he had like 23 I was like oh okay yep sounds about right there the one game guy of note of the core Pacers group that just kind of had some struggles I believe was Dwayne Washington Jr. and obviously things changed for him quite a bit over those last few days where ultimately he was waived And actually, before that, as I reported on FieldhouseFiles.com, his contract guarantee was pushed back from the 6th to the 15th, which was last Friday. They did that to maintain their flexibility, and in doing so, it cost Dwayne Washington Jr. to an extent his job here, whereas Terry Taylor 
had his contract fully picked up. Dwayne Washington Jr. was waived, and he has since cleared waivers, so he's now free to sign with any team now. He was unsettled. It was difficult, it looked like, for him to ease his way into games, and in part that was because of his different roles. He came off the bench as a sixth man in the first game as Duarte got the start, then Duarte sat, and Washington got the start. Well, then Aaron Neesmith came over and played and started. So then Washington Jr. went back to the bench, and then, of course, he was waived. But would have liked to see more from him. Surely and absolutely want to see more from Aaron Neesmith. However, remember, he just flew into Vegas and joined the team very late. Now, he had been practicing some with guys like Tyrese Halliburton, O'Shea Brissett, who I was told were just freakish in the way number of times, quantity and quality of their workouts there. They would work out, and this is in large part why they go out there during summer league, is they can get a good workout in in the morning. Pacer coaches can be there as well. There was one day, I think it was a week ago on a Monday, when Tyrese and O'Shea joined up with the Raptors, or key Raptors team, and practiced kind of and uh, really went through a, a run, got a run in with them. And I was told the key Raptors team won the first several games. But then look out, because then Halliburton's team and, and others with O'Shea, then they took over. And, and once they got comfortable with one another in that run, it was very impressive. It's those different things out there uh, are why it's important for so many guys you're seeing of the veterans or older players go out there during the summer. They can get treatment from the team and the training staff. They can be observed or get help from the coaching staff. And also a lot of good run-ins in the morning out in Las Vegas, which might be a little bit surprising when you consider, you know, the stature of NBA players. Now they go out at night or, or might could choose to. Or, well, even if they are, guess what? They're in the gym. The ones I heard about by 8, 8.30 in the morning were done with a workout before noon and then had the rest of the day to do whatever they wanted. And good for them. That's what they should be doing. It's their off season, their chance to spend their time however they choose. Among the non-core pacers, the one guy I said to keep an eye on was David DeLeo, shooter, 6'8 forward from Central Michigan. He impressed and really throughout all of Summer League with his contributions, last played in Greece, but uh, especially in that last game, which was ugly. Pacers got blown out. Didn't have a player reach double figures, but DeLeo was one of the players off the bench who had a okay game, noteworthy game. He definitely has earned a contract somewhere. It just depends, will it be in the G League or may he stay overseas, that type of thing to continue on. A lot of talk after the first couple of days about NBA awarding championship rings to the teams out there. And With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My first thought was like, really, we're going to celebrate like Summer League? Like, that's not about winning the championship, really. That's about individual growth. It's about an opportunity for these players to be on display for so many. All the NBA teams, all the G League teams, and scouts overseas. That includes, for example, uh, an assistant coach, Bryce Taylor, who's, uh, who was with the Pacers this past year as a basketball assistant slash intern. And then this 
like a month ago, agreed to join a coaching staff overseas. I think it was back in Germany where he previously played. Well, guess what? He was in Las Vegas for summer league. He was there evaluating players and seeing you know, how, how guys look. Then something they can take back to their team and try to pursue those guys that are on the fringes that won't play in the NBA, maybe G League players, but also could have a better opportunity or more money overseas. So that's basically like a job interview which makes putting rings on the line somewhat laughable, although uh, this is why I think it's actually pretty cool. You take a look at a roster. You take a look at a roster like the Pacers, for example. How many of those guys will ever play meaningful NBA minutes? How of them will play any true NBA minutes? And I'm not even talking preseason. Very few outside of probably those core six or seven. That's where this is a memory. They're creating an opportunity for them, and they're creating a memory. So for them, if they want a summer league championship like we saw the Portland Trailblazers do, and by the way, the MVP for that was Trenton Watford, younger brother of Christian Watford, who I went to school with at IU. So we saw Trenton really fill out, looks like an NBA player. That had to be cool for the Watford family, the Trailblazers, to win it. In the grand scheme of things, no. Portland winning Rather meaningless. However, there's got to be many players on that Portland team that this is their the peak of their professional basketball playing career. They got a special opportunity. They got to play in front of execs. They got to make a name for themselves. They got NBA jerseys for summer league. Got to spend a couple of weeks out in Las Vegas for an NBA team, but maybe they'll never play in the NBA. But guess what? They always have that tape of them playing games that can live on YouTube. And they also have this physical ring that can represent this experience. They created a memory. So for that reason specifically, I'm good with the NBA giving out championship rings to the winning team of Summer League. That's why my opinion changed a little bit because you got to think the majority of the players that took part in Summer League, that played and were on the bench and gave away two weeks of their summer for this, Now they've created a lifelong memory, and they have something to show for it. Just a few more things on Summer League before getting into a brief conversation about DeAndre Ayton, the Pacers' pursuits of them, and the Suns electing to match his restricted free agency offer. For one, Terry Taylor had his contract guaranteed. I posted a one-on-one with him on fieldhousefiles.com. He's very appreciative. Uh, He's kind of a a utility guy who I kind of laugh when you saw the ESPN or NBA TV broadcast. They showed the Pacers depth chart and Terry, who's just 6'5", plays more like a center than a guard, was listed as a guard. But it's fun to discuss Terry getting his contract guaranteed for this upcoming season, which means his salary guaranteed and how much his family is going to appreciate it and how it's just kind of the beginning for Terry in his mind as he's had to prove people wrong all along his journey. And then going back about a week, Aaron Neesmith officially joined the team. He was out of practice, unable to participate officially just yet because the Brogdon deal hadn't gone through. And here's a little behind the scenes of what exactly went down there because I thought it was strange because going back a couple of weeks, on a Saturday they announced it. That was, I believe, July 9th that it was official The Celtics announced and the Pacers, they even had Brad Stevens, the team president of the Celtics, announce, you know, we're so excited to Malcolm to to join this championship winning team, blah, blah, blah. That's usually not done until it has gone final, until a deal is solidified and completely done and all of that. Well, here's what happened. It was all basically agreed to and all but finalized pending physical. 
And obviously, not only would the Boston Celtics want to go over his medical history, which I'm told the Pacers shared everything, whether it's you know their files or MRIs or X-rays, all the important stuff when it comes to Brogdon. Because remember, he's had surgery on that like thigh hip bone issue or whatever. That was complicated. That was right before the pandemic. Then he had this sore Achilles that he dealt with all of last season and the variety of other things, his foot, etc., that he's had to deal with. Well, they shared all of that, but then again, the Celtics, as you would, wanted for Brogdon to be seen by their team doctors, to evaluate him in person, to get their hands on him a little bit. That finally went down several days later than the Pacers had anticipated. Brogdon had been in Tanzania, as did Miles Turner, those two working with Malcolm's, the Brogdon Family Foundation, bringing clean water to areas that need it. And so Malcolm finally got to Boston, Passed the physical, as was fully expected. There were not expected to be any hiccups, by the way. But it was only then that the deal became finally official-official and Neesmith could join the Pacers for Summer League. He's a third-year guy but was willing to participate. And while less than stellar performance, I thought it was important. This was his first time in the Pacers' playbook, first time interacting with the coaching staff and a few of the players who are around but keep in mind though he played in what three games um two of them most of the key players were out Duarte Terry Taylor Isaiah Jackson for instance so he's playing with younger guys he's playing with I guess they're all really young mostly except for like Gabe York but guys that are fresh in the NBA don't know the NBA the opponents all that type of stuff whereas Neesmith does have the advantage there a lot of newness for him but I'm glad he was able to play in the final few games with the Summer League squad. I thought that was important and and a good stepping stone for him. By the way, after his debut, I was able to talk with him after the game for about 10 minutes in length about where he was in, in this trade, and he was saying how he was not expecting to be traded, how he was on the sixth hole of a golf course in the Charleston Municipal Golf Course there when his phone rang, and it wasn't his agent or the Pacers. It was Brad Stevens alerting him to this and for my golf fans out there of course I asked Neesmith you know what his handicap is was he any good you know following up kind of like Doug McDermott in that storyline that was something me and Dougie talked about a lot because of our mutual interest and love for golf and Aaron got to laugh me off he goes no 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 nah man we're not any good we're just playing for fun so he said he played like one more hole with a friend and then you know he just wasn't focused as you would expect when you're then life is uprooted and you know here in the coming days you're going to a new city without any friends on a new team that does not have championship aspirations, but guess what? You also have a real opportunity. He's a 6'5 wing that really wants to be a top-notch two-way player, he said. That means playing both ends, not just the offensive end, and he really needs to recreate his shot and, and really knock that down with more consistency. I think he was like 37% in his rookie year, and it dropped to 27% last year so he kind of had a a moment of reflection a week of reflection he said over this offseason where he took some time to settle down to slow down to reevaluate his first couple of years in the league and kind of envision where he goes next and what it looks like and what he wants from his himself in his game and where he can contribute that's having a more consistent productive shot it's being a two-way player it's finding the joy for the game and all that stuff you can read more in my story with Aaron Neesmith at fieldhousefiles.com, but I appreciated him willing to open up and discuss that after their lone summer league game. I was kind of disappointed the Pacers not asking any questions, posted that whole video 
on their YouTube when my whole thing is if you're not contributing questions, you definitely shouldn't be posting the video. I make the investment to go out there to cover Summer League and those types of things. That's one of my big inside media frustrations. And also, there's no reason to post big videos like that when it's not your questions, that whole thing. You guys don't care about that. That was an aside, a little rant from me here. So the number one question out at Summer League as it pertains to the NBA and really with the Pacers in particular was what was the holdup there with the Malcolm Brogdon Celtics deal getting done? I explained that, but I I talked to a couple Pacer people and they're like, really? People care about that? That's an issue. I was like, look, I'm hearing about it on Twitter. I'm getting it. National NBA writers who are asking me about it and local beat guys as well. Yes, it is being discussed. So that's why... I got some clarification on that and tried to get to the bottom of it because it is confusing. It is unusual for the Pacers especially to be announced, announcing a deal as final when it was technically not finalized. Now, the second biggest question was the Pacers' ties to DeAndre Ayton. And if you've heard local radio or other podcasts, it feels like I've done about a dozen of them here in the last week just as of this recording this morning. I was on 1070 twice, the first show and then the second show of the day, the daily show on 1070, The Fan. But I also want to break it down even further for you, my listening audience here with the Fieldhouse Files podcast. For one, this is nothing new. This is not a sudden decision by the Pacers. This wasn't a tactic. This wasn't Pacers doing the agent a favor at all. The Pacers were deeply interested in DeAndre Ayton. I'm told it goes back not only just to the trade deadline. That's when I first heard considerations with DeAndre Ayton to the Pacers, how likely Pacers pushing for Miles Turner for DeAndre Ayton there at the trade deadline. Then the Kings made Tyrese Halliburton available. They were willing to pony up Demonis Sabonis for Halliburton. But before that, the Pacers are looking into DeAndre Ayton from Phoenix. Remember, they had completed a deal with Phoenix anyway bringing Jalen Smith here for Torrey Craig as they tried to make their championship run and are very much still in a championship window. Well, the first day of free agency, I'm told the Pacers had a couple representatives out in California meeting with DeAndre Ayton on the first day of free agency. So that was more than a couple weeks ago. Very interested in him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The front office did a deep dive into Aiton. They talked with some of the players on the team about Aiton, and in particular, a guy that stands out is Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton gave them the thumbs up, the okay, said, yes, I want to play with this guy. Go get him. Just imagine those two pairing up, and he fits more Tyrese's game, and I think 
Aiton, compared to Miles, fits what Carlisle likes to do. He's wanting more of a rim threat. A guy who who's magical there at the rim and, and can create in the pick-and-roll situation with Tyrese. So for those reasons, it made sense. My only reason it didn't make complete sense was do you really want to commit over $33 million in salary per year on a center? Because we've seen what's changing in the league, and that's big money not going to centers, excluding kind of the all-NBA MVP caliber guys, which of course you would. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, for example. Those guys absolutely command it, if healthy, and are worth every penny and then some. A guy like DeAndre Ayton wanted to get paid. He wanted a max contract, and for more than a year now, the Suns, basically on record, have said, you know what, we're not exactly interested in do that. We're going to hold off. We'll see. See, they could have signed Ayton to a max contract last year. And in fact, because they drafted him and had his bird rights, they could have signed him to a much larger deal, to another year, five-year deal, that would have been like $180 million. So this does work out for the Suns. They still are paying him, I think, way more than they would like to. But the Pacers were very serious about this. They took their time with it. They checked in about trying to do a sign-in trade, mainly because they weren't confident completely that they would be able to get him in a restricted free agency, which, if you aren't sure, that means the original team, the home team, his previous team, had the option to match whatever offers are out there. And the Pacers, I'm told, offered four years, $133 million straight up, meaning no options, no player or team options, no trade kickers, nothing like that, just a straight deal, which, yes, that makes it a much easier deal to match. I would have thought they would have put in a player option in year four. They could have structured the contract maybe with a de-escalating salary there where it's much higher in year one than year four, which would have made it a little bit more complicated as well for the Suns, I believe. But ultimately, the Suns wanted him. They kind of needed him because if you lose Aiton, there's no real replacing him. Now they're certainly in the luxury tax and will be paying a lot for him. They also lose some flexibility with his salary, and he's ineligible to be traded till January. So for (laughs) six months here. And what that means is he could not be involved in any Kevin Durant potential trade. And to Indiana, he can't be traded there if the Pacers were still interested and they made it work for another year. So a lot of restrictions on it. But it ultimately comes down to the Suns wanting to capitalize on this window in time for them where they are in a championship window. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, maybe Durant, Aiton, former number one pick, there on it but here's where I give the Pacers a lot of credit they hate restricted free agents and more specifically that's owner Herb Simon he's the longest tenured owner in the league and he doesn't like them because he views it as taking or negatively impacting one of his fellow owners how they should be in it all together and look out for one another if you remember the only other time they've done this before offered a restricted free agent was Chris Copeland and if you remember that situation It was a little bit unique as well because in 2013, the Knicks could not offer what the Pacers did at just over $3 million per year. So the Pacers, by offering a deal to Copeland, knew the Knicks couldn't match and in turn knew that he would be theirs. That's why I say this is something the Pacers did for the first time in franchise history, and that's offering a restricted free agent where it's kind of a a bidding war to an extent where the other team very likely is going to match and you just raise the price on him. And... Before all this went down, 
and I'm glad I got to it before and it actually posted the day of the deal getting done, was Herb Simon's belief in this because this is significant, and it led me during our sit-down. Remember when Herb Simon invited about a half dozen of us, I think it was five of us actually, to a conference room at the practice facility in December to kind of make clear his position, the team's position, that they're not holding a fire sale, that they are not taking and will never take. We also had the opportunity to ask him any and all questions, and he would answer as well as he could. It went on for, I think, 40 minutes or so, probably asked 30-some questions. And one of them was me asking about the Brogdon deal, how they could have technically offered Malcolm Brogdon a restricted free agent at the time several years ago in Milwaukee an offer, and then given Milwaukee a chance to match. Pacers wouldn't have had to give anything up. Bucks were not expected to match. In fact, they wanted to trade him, whereas it was the Pacers calling to inquire about a restricted free agent, and they called to try to do a sign-and-trade with the Suns. It was the Bucks calling around the league on the first day of free agency, trying to see if there was any willing suitors for Malcolm Brogdon. This was at the time, if you remember, that they were just about done with a deal with Ricky Rubio. Well, things changed with that. Things changed with Boyan signing for a bigger number than anticipated in Utah because Miritich went back home and played overseas, I think, back in Spain. A lot of chaos there. But anyway, to the point, here's what Herb Simon said about restricted free agents. And this story for subscribers at FieldhouseFiles.com. Simon said, restricted free agents are almost like a death-defying wish. You raise the price, then you don't get them anyway, and it costs your partner money for no reason. So I can't say I've never, never... But if I know the people, meaning the other owners, I will say, look, we like your guy. Let's make a fair deal. I'd rather do that than make an ugly deal so he can't accept it. That's my feelings. It's personal feelings. So, again, that might provide some clarity, too, in the way in which the deal was structured. They didn't make it an ugly deal that couldn't be accepted by the Suns. Now, they still had to pony up max money, $133 million over four years, but the Pacers could have made it way more complicated to the point where it would have been very difficult for the Suns to match. And I think that goes against Herb Simon's beliefs as an owner. You can knock him if you want, but at least he has been consistent. What I give him in the front office credit here is for stretching their limits and being willing to do a little bit more to offer a player in free agency and taking the chance that they get them, that the other team does not match, and then they would have ended up with their first number one pick in franchise history. They would have changed, I think, the direction and maybe the timeline specifically of this rebuild, which, by the way, I would anticipate at least one more year, meaning this upcoming year, before they really kick it into fifth gear, sixth gear, and push for a playoff spot and to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference once again. But well done, at least, by Herb Simon in the front office for making a run at it. And a couple days before posting that article, I I reached out to Kevin Pritchard and asked him for his thoughts and if Herb Simon really would move off his stance. And he, he explained to me, and again, this is on the site and in that story, that they started reevaluating things a couple years ago and the way in which they went about their business. This was one thing they had considered and they clearly did something different, moved off that position to an extent, and got involved. So I give them all the credit for willing to do it, for moving off that position and going after him. I think Pacer fans appreciate it. I think the players probably appreciate it. They were willing to spend, that they were willing to add a potential all-star to this roster to make them better and make them better more quickly. It didn't work out, no, but... 
it's good to see progress and effort made there. One other thing I do want to touch on is what they had to do in order to officially sign Aiton to that restricted free agent offer because that actually needed to be signed, and then the team has 48 hours to match it, and I think the Suns did it in less than 10. But to do it, the Pacers had to clear up about $5 more million in cap space, so they waived Nick Stauskas, Juwan Morgan, as well as Malik Fitz. Those three also came over in that deal with Brogdon, uh, sending him to the Celtics. They came over with Daniel Tice and Aaron Neesmith. Those three, as one person referred to it, those guys hit the lottery. They were traded. Their contracts became guaranteed because they were non-guaranteed deals. Their contracts became guaranteed. They were waived, so they get paid. And on top of that, they could double dip by signing with another team. Now, obviously, they're, they cleared waivers, so the demand isn't super high. But technically, yeah, they could go get another contract for this upcoming season while getting paid by the Pacers, and guys get paid. So good for them. There's a perfect example of players benefiting from the business of basketball. But certainly with those guys, they would like opportunity and a chance to make it almost as much probably as that money, which can be beneficial. I think each of them are making over a million dollars for free by being part of that deal. The other fallout, though, was Dwayne Washington Jr. He was waived by the team as well to make it work. His non-guaranteed contract that would have become guaranteed July 15th. And so he did not have his contract guaranteed. Um, So now... He's got to figure out his situation. It's unclear if the Pacers immediately would bring them back because of a numbers game. I I even had someone point it out to me out at Summer League. It's like, all right, now where does he fit in, especially with Neesmith, who's starting at the two and playing some three and is a two-way guy. Dwayne Washington, very similar there, and they added even more guards like Benedict Matherin. you got to get Chris Duarte more playing time. You added Buddy Heald in season. Tyrese Halliburton. T.J. McConnell's still on the roster. They drafted Andrew Nemhart. So there is so many guards and not a ton of playing time to go around. So one option, for example, could be another two-way deal, by the way. Pacers have not used their two-way contracts. And after making those four transactions of players being waived, that moved their roster from 19 players under contract to 15, but doesn't include, by the way, those second-round picks and Nemhart and Kendall Brown who – have not yet signed rookie deals just yet. They're non-guaranteed contracts, so I guess certainly it's not a guarantee that both players will be here, but eh, it's basically expected, so don't be surprised there um, by any means. We saw T.J. Warren. We saw Edmund Sumner both join with the Brooklyn Nets. How about Jalen Smith? I think I probably touched on this on my last podcast. Both of those uh, guys moving on and Jalen Smith staying. Ricky Rubio to Cleveland. They did not do a sign-and-trade with the Pacers, and Lance Stevenson remains out there, as well as several other players. Seems like the league now is completely at a standstill, trying to figure out what's going on with Kevin Durant and all of that. But the Pacers have about $31 million in cap space, no exact rush that they need to go out and spend it. They just have to be over the salary floor and under the luxury tax is what they're going to be too by the end of next June. So they have over a year and. This creates all kinds of possibilities. They could be a third team in a a three-team deal, for example, much like they got themselves involved with that big four-team deal, ultimately is what it became, from James Harden to Brooklyn. That was two years ago um, and brought Karis LeVert to Indiana. They could do something like that. Or they could take on a bad contract and absorb a bad contract while also picking up draft capital or a role player. The other thing they could do 
is restructure a guy's contract and, and perhaps front load it. Maybe a guy like O'Shea Brissett, or you could renegotiate Miles Turner's contract if that's the route they want to go to. And I don't want to get into a ton on this one, mainly because I'm out of time and it's already gone much longer than I'd like. But Miles Turner, he's obviously has a lot of questions, I'm sure, as he returns to the States after probably a couple weeks in Tanzania with the Brogdon Foundation. But he's known he's been discussed in trade conversations, that he's kind of on that block. He's also entering a contract here. And so he has as much motivation to perform as the Pacers do for him to perform, whether that's that's to sign him to an extension or to deal him to a different or better situation uh, where then he could sign a deal. But he'll have some say-so because another team is not going to necessarily want to acquire him if he has no interest in signing a new contract there as well. That's another big factor to take into consideration. Lots of big things coming to FieldhouseFiles.com here. Going to do a long piece um, just covering quick hits on different things from Summer League, some of which I've touched on here. A one-on-one conversation with Pacers President Kevin Pritchard, which I appreciated. Talked with O'Shea Brissett one-on-one and Gonzaga head coach Mark Few about Andrew Nemhart. So that stuff and a lot more at FieldhouseFiles.com for Pacers coverage again Thank you so much for those who have made it this far and listen to this podcast, who subscribe and read my work at Fieldhouse Files. We got through Summer League and the draft, and now on to the official start of the offseason, in my mind. It slows down a lot more, um, but the content will not. I have a lot more coming your way here in the coming days and weeks. So thank you all for your support, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> <laughs>